Hey, couple notes before we start today's episode. You will note that this episode is entitled Little Women, and that is because we are discussing little women. And by we, let's call them the little women of the booking. They are Danielle McNeely. You may know her as the mom who's the bomb of reading. Dubstep Danny. She's appeared on this show many times. Amanda Menzel. She is Mrs. Jacob Menzel, married to the pastor who's a master of reading. And then you've got your Anna Chastain, married to the scholar who's a baller of reading. We thought it would be fun to have the women of the booking come in and discuss one of women's or girls' literature, the classic women's books, which is exactly what they've done. And it's a nice meaty episode of the booketing. Lots of interesting information, thoughts and opinions, and good humor from the ladies. I think you'll love this episode. I commend it to you. I think they did a fantastic job. With one small exception. Danny, Danny, Danny. I deputized you, Danny, as, as the king of the booketing. I, I, I gave you my scepter and said, go and rule the kingdom in my stead. And you had the gall to say some things about Miss Jane Austen's work that, well, I, I won't even repeat them. But they're noted in posterity. Perhaps, Danielle, you were counting on my infinite kindness to edit out your shame, to save you from etching this embarrassment in the stone that is the everlasting internet. <sighs> Alas, Danielle, my forbearance is not that deep a well of water. Other than that, which is about 15 seconds of the episode, this is a really fantastic episode. I commend it to you. Listen to it. One more note. You may notice that we're not doing a Narnia book today. We're about midway through our Narnia series, which we had promised to people when our Patreon account, where people can support our work, patreon.com forward slash the booking, got over $750 a month. We said we'd do Narnia. Now, sadly, Patreon, after it got over that and we started doing Narnia, has dipped back down. It is currently, as I record this, a little bit under 750. And I don't want to. I'm just going to be really honest here. I don't want to have to hold Narnia hostage, but I, I, I honestly do have to do it. Warhorn Media is a nonprofit. The money that we raise on things like the booking actually does go to supporting my salary jake's salary some of the salaries of the other people who work for us so long story short i love the booking the booking is not going anywhere and the booking has to make financial sense and all of those things are true what i need for you guys to do if you're a lurker i love our lurkers but if you are a lurker, if you're someone who has some spare cash they could throw towards the booking that has never got on the Patreon bandwagon, go to patreon.com forward slash the booking. Sign up for as little as a dollar a month, $5 a month, $10 a month gets you the donor shout out. You can sign up for the $25 level to get a t-shirt, which we are sending the t-shirt design in this week. It's really cool. It says terrifyingly right. Or another popular level, if you're able, the $50 level, you get a book signed by me, Brandon, and Jake every week, which is a really cool level. And I encourage you to sign up for that. I usually draw people a little picture and we'll uh, write some witty comments about the book. So if you're someone that is supporting us right now and you're able to support us uh, a little bit more per month, that'd be great. If you're somebody that likes to listen, has never supported us and you want to jump on, now would be a really good time. We need to get that level over 750. We actually cut things pretty close. 
the last month in terms of <laughs> being able to make salary. We'd really appreciate any help you could give. If you get us over 750, I will of course start re- releasing the Narnia books again. I would love to get us over a thousand, at which point we've promised to do the Lord of the Rings. So if I can get actually within the next month or two before 2020 over a thousand dollars per month, then what I'd like to do is start working Tolkien in maybe on a monthly basis is what me and Jake and Brandon have talked about. Like we'll do a little bit of Tolkien every month and make year five, season five of the booking 2020, the year of Tolkien. So, you know, we can do The Hobbit. We can do, obviously, the three Lord of the Ringses. We'd be willing to do The Similarian if that's something that people would be interested in. I've never read it or I've never gotten through it, actually. So if this is not a good time for you to support us, I understand completely. If you could just tell some of your friends about the podcast, maybe think of one person right now. Think of an episode that you think that person would enjoy and send it to them. Get the word out. This is a labor of love. We love doing it. Booking's not going anywhere, believe me. But we do need to raise some more support and we need to do it soon. So go to patreon.com forward slash the booking today. And I'm hoping that we can get it over 750 by next week so that i can go ahead and start releasing narnia episodes again because i want to talk about horse and his boy magician's nephew and last battles and really if we can just get comfortably over that 750 maybe even comfortably over the thousand dollar that's what would really help us to continue producing this podcast so thank you for your time thank you for your love we have a bunch of great fans and i really appreciate the letters and emails tweets and facebook messages and everything that we've gotten over the years really gratifying Jake and Brandon would say the same thing. I know we really love doing this podcast. We love reading these books. We love talking about them for you. And we love it when females that we like do the same thing. So without further ado, let's listen to an episode recorded a month or two ago with three wonderful gals. Take it away, Danny. Coming up next, the booking reads Little Women by Louisa May Alcott. everybody welcome to the first all-female episode of the booking all right i am danny mcneely dubstep danny the mom who is a bomb of reading did you come up with names for all of us i did oh good i'm really excited (laughs) and i am here with two my friends amanda mensel the pastor's wife who's a master at life (laughs) master at life i don't know so but master is masculine but calling you the mistress of life is weird. <laughs> that doesn't sound very nice. <laughs> so we're going to start with Master at Life. Um, hi, Amanda. Hi. hi. Amanda is wearing a sweatshirt. Yeah. It's striped. Would you call that a sweatshirt? Uh, a pullover? Pullover. It's got a hood, a hoodie, or it doesn't have a sports logo or anything on it. Mm-hmm. It's just very cute. Thank you. Also, Jake bought it for me. Oh. Picked it out himself. The, the pastor who's a master of reading. Yeah. And a hoodie picking outing. <laughs> <laughs> A man of many talents. Um, on my right is the one and only Anna Chastain. Hi. Hi. Are you excited to hear your name? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Can you, do you have any guesses? Do you have a name for Let's yourself? See, who's Brandon no. again? He's the... Brandon's the scholar who's a baller of reading. Oh, right. And also, lately, 
Ghost Brandon. <laughs> Ghost Brandon. <laughs> hmm. Well, I thought that was going to go away, but it stuck. <laughs> my kids principally know you as an art teacher. Therefore, you are the artist who's the smartest at reading. Nice. Awesome. Thanks. Nice. <laughs> Thanks. Alex kind of rolled his eyes at that. So. <laughs> <laughs> What's mine again? <laughs> the pastor's wife is a master at life. Pastor's wife. Okay. You're even broader than reading. Everyone else is just <laughs> yeah, reading. Yeah, just life. You're just life. And that's good. <laughs> I'm so, not a master at reading. This uh, this episode's an interesting balance of should we be normal booking? Should we be ourselves? Mm-hmm. I think we should have three to four minutes of banter <laughs> um, just so that nobody's confused about what they're listening to. And not much giggling. Minimal giggling. <laughs> giggling podcasts are just the worst um we'll go for lots of loud laughing chortling chortling guffaws yes i don't know how to guffaw so we are shaking it up today with booking there is we're not starting with context although we do have a contextual texan yep present in the room who will give a hail and hearty yeehaw in a few minutes we're actually going to start with baggage check because we thought you might all like to get to know us a little bit and then we can all confess how much of the book we actually finished this time around mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's an airplane how many times have i read the book well just your baggage check uh well the first time i read the book i I just had Ian, so I was, it was like my nursing book, nursing and feeding the baby book, and I read it on an iPad, an iPod, so tiny screen. Whoa! Yes, like in <laughs> That's the a lot of scrolling. Yes, the you know the one with a hundred words a page. Uh-huh. I read it in the books app, but I loved right. it. And I, thinking about it now, I thought, wow, did I really read that entire thing on that tiny iPod? That's but so impressive. I think I did because I I got to the second part. <laughs> Which I didn't this time. (laughs) Here you go. There's my confession. Yeah, I loved it that first go around and got to read a lot of it just sitting around holding a baby, which is a sweet time. Yeah. Eight years ago, August, September, coming up. Any more baggage about books in general, maybe? (laughs) About American literature? About old books? How about the movies? Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. the movies. I don't have any baggage of the movies and never she seen doesn't the watch movies. movies although so little women is like a the title is a little bit off-putting yes i'm not a huge reader I didn't wasn't made to read a lot growing up uh like in school i did read some as a kid and then kind of grew out of it i'm a slow reader so that's also a hindrance to reading a lot but little women more of a classic book mm-hmm. didn't read a lot of that being an adult thinking little women do i really want to read that <laughs> but i probably heard you talk about it really fondly probably. and probably kate beddinghouse talk about it and other people and was just looking for something to read and clicked it <laughs> on my <laughs> on my ipod it was um, a free like a free? yeah okay do you remember that books app mm-hmm, i do that's that's where i was i read books on it yeah yeah on my on iPad the bookshelf babies mm-hmm. so yeah it's a girly book and yeah i didn't really I hadn't read like any classically girly books. That's a category. <laughs> <laughs> is it a category? It's a good question. I guess it is. Like, like Gone with the Wind. Is that a classically girly book? Or Pride and Prejudice, <clears throat> which I read after oh, yeah. reading Little Women. So this book, Danny gave me this enormous book. <laughs> Alex gave you this. Alex, well, Danny's mister. Yeah, I guess we did it together. Yeah. He orders the books and mails them to everyone. But he asked me what 
copy yeah. I had. So that was a little bit of baggage. That it's a really big book? Mm-hmm. It's an enormous book, and it is very nice, and it has nice pictures, but neither is just such a huge book. And, and had I known that the book had 600 pages or something, back eight years ago, I may not have read it. So maybe it's a good thing you read it on here. Yeah. So, yeah. Where it says up at the top. Um, they have like, 2,000 pages. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I... I just thought, oh, this is just a, such a tiny thing anyway. It's <laughs> got a, Every book is 2,000 pages. Yeah, right. <laughs> so Anna, tell us your baggage. All, all your baggage about everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. I think I first read this book um, when I was a teenager. I'm trying to remember the age. It's probably like 13 would be a good guess. Mm -hmm. And I remember really liking it. I remember being very angry when Joe did not get with Lori. And I thought, <gasps> she's crazy. And why would she marry this old guy? I was still oh, really yes. hoping that <laughs> this time around. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then um, I loved the movie with Winona Ryder and we watched that all the time and I think it kind of replaced the book in my mind mm -hmm. and so over the years I was kind of just like wow Lori was like a jerk I mean it's like this one <laughs> one second he's like just telling Joe that he could never love anybody else uh -huh. he's so passionate and then like the very next scene he's just like <laughs> telling Amy that <laughs> oh, yeah. he just wants to be part of her family and he loves mm -hmm. her and and I was just you're like wow I mean why would love was different back then I mean even Joe <laughs> well, said that she wanted was, to you marry get, you get Meg. a little more time in the book oh yeah a lot don't more. have time for in the movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but then i thought it was really funny that Alyssa read it recently and she had the same reaction she was just like how come she didn't marry Lori? and how mm -hmm. could she marry that old man <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah and i was oh. like you know i don't know as you mature he's like he doesn't sound that old to me you know it's yeah. a better choice <laughs> yes that's yeah. so funny but um but yeah that's something just, we can talk about would mm -hmm. Joe and Lori have made a good couple? We'll save would that. Would that have turned <laughs> out? Tuck like? that question yeah. away. I'll write it on my napkin. <laughs> yep. I uh, I started reading it this time around, and I ended up switching over to just listening to it because life is busy. But yeah, I enjoyed it the second time around, and I felt much better about Lori after reading it because it does he wasn't give so much you. Of a jerk. Yeah, he wasn't quite as much of a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I got a better sense for Lori this time around too. I think I first I first read this I'm pretty <laughs> sure in first or second grade. Wow. And the reason I remember that is because to give you a little taste of who Danny was as a child. I remember I had this yellow Apple books, Apple paperbacks copy. Yes. Big fat mm -hmm. but smallish book. And I was reading it while walking home from school because the school was oh. down the street from our house. So I know it was for second grade because I moved to different school, third grade. And I was walking down the street reading and it was the section, it was some poem that I was composing a little song for as I walked down the street to my house <laughs> singing to myself. Was it the one that poem. Joe wrote for him? I think so. It might have. I, I think it was actually, yeah, the one of all four girls with their like chests oh. in that poem. Oh, I, oh I yeah. <clears throat> right at the end. Mm -hmm. Didn't get um, there today. <laughs> right. Well, actually, I didn't get there either. So so that was the first time I read it. And I think I read it again in high school, maybe, or college. And then again, I think after college. Hmm. And then mostly again just now. <laughs> I didn't quite get... Well, I kept thinking... Yeah, we've known about this episode for like a year yeah. or something. But I was like, I, I don't want to read it. I want to make sure I read it close enough that I remember everything. Mm -hmm. And so I may, I read it too close and I couldn't actually finish it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the irony. But I did. I read, I mean, yeah, I skimmed, I reread parts that I didn't remember very clearly and skimmed other sections. It's been, I, I think I'd call this my favorite book. If you'd ask me for a favorite book, I would say this. And I think it's largely because every time I read it, I get something new out of it. 
Mm-hmm. Like I read it as a little girl mm-hmm. and like all the stuff in the beginning was so familiar. I remember that the, like the strongest memory is that Amy had that purple dress with yellow dots or something. And I personally was like, that would have, like she hated that dress. I was like, I would have hated that dress too. <laughs> it was just like, so, actually, maybe that, maybe it gave me that feeling. Maybe I've always hated that combo because of Amy. I don't know. <laughs> and then reading okay. it again. I know they're supposed to be complimentary colors. complimentary colors. Artist who's the smartest, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> Aren't they opposites on the color wheel? The yellow and the yellow or purple blue. and orange. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's blue and orange. Or is it blue? Yeah, I don't know. I have to look at a color wheel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's the smartest at reading, folks. <gasps> yeah, <Nope. laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, but yeah, so I read. I understood a lot. Actually, I wonder. I wonder what I even thought about part two as a kid. Because rereading it now, part two really is so much more grown up. Mm-hmm. Where part one is like a lot of their scrapes and their like shenanigans as kids. Yeah, and their formative like, years. Yeah. And then the second half is death and mm-hmm. marriage and babies and like, yeah, marrying, like choosing to marry the older, wiser man. Like all this. I don't mm-hmm. even know. Like, I don't know what I thought about that as a mm-hmm. second grader. Husband and wife relationships and right. dynamics and yeah. discipline. <laughs> Yeah, so each time I read it, I get something new and something helpful. I relate more and more to Marmy. Mm-hmm. I like, want to be more like Marmy every time I read it. Especially this time, yes. Yeah. Especially this time. Like, I, um, yeah. I, would, I have also said it's my favorite book too, but yes, definitely reading it this time. It's like, wow. Yeah. That, I need to be more like Marmy. This is a nice setup uh-huh. for parenting older kids. <laughs> and then the big episode with Lori and Meg and all of that and yeah. how Mr. Lawrence deals with him and- how Joe intercedes for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and switching from now, my oldest is eight. So like much closer to like Amy's age and thinking and remembering like, oh yeah, those trials are really hard. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice to, I don't often read books about girls that age anymore. Although they feel a lot younger. I don't know if it's just a more innocent time. Well, and yeah, when Marmy. When Marmy's talking with Joe about like how she has conquered her own struggles, mm. like, so yep. I should talk to my children. And that sweet letter. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when you first read it, you told me there were, I'm pointing at Amanda, there were two chapters that you think every young married couple should read. And I totally agree. Do you, there's the when Meg and John first get married and then when they're having their difficulties, when they're having, mm-hmm. having their, with their kids. Mm-hmm. And I rereading them now, I was like, wow, this is really helpful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think while I was reading that, I thought, this needs to be read at like a bridal shower. <laughs> totally. Younger. Yeah. So they, oh, yeah. I think it was a more innocent time. Yeah. So a more innocent time or she just said they were older and wrote them younger. I don't know. Yeah. But they felt a lot younger at the end. I don't know. I guess by, the, by, by the end of the – well, it's funny to me that it's only one year, that first book. Mm. It seems like they do grow up a lot more in that first half than just a year. Um, right. But yeah, that Meg – because then there's like what, like a four year gap? Is that yeah, right? three or four years between yeah. them? You mean, or mm-hmm. between the between the two books? Okay, yeah, the inner the intermediate section. So that is a great segue in mm-hmm. some ways to context. Are you ready, Anna? <laughs> yes. We need a hail and hearty yeehaw. Yeehaw! Oh, that was really good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I kind of have two contexts here. I have a outline of her life, and then I actually have. A letter from the contextual Texan. <laughs> himself. From yep. the man himself. Um, which he was very kind to write. And it kind of just gives us um, an idea of 
what was going on in the literary world and also what transcendentalism is because Oof. it plays, I think, strongly into her philosophy. Um, yeah. So so I'll start so with go for it. an outline. <laughs> All right. So she was born on November 29th. Who, who was born? I haven't even said her name. <laughs> Louisa May Alcott. <laughs> I said it in my intro oh, tagline. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Did you say Louisa? Yeah, I did. How, how would is you it, pronounce it? I guess it's Louisa. Is it Louisa? That's how I would say it. Louisa. I would say with a Z. With a Z. Louisa. Louisa. I kind of like Louisa. Makes her sound like Louise. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, you may end up getting it both ways. We'll just see what comes out. <laughs> I'm excited. But where is she from? Anyway, so Louisa May Alcott was born on November 29th, on 1832. Um, her father's name was Branson and her mother's name was Abigail. She did have three sisters, an older sister whose name was Anna, and then two younger siblings, um, Elizabeth and Abby May. So it's kind of interesting that Elizabeth's name stays the same. Yeah. And Ma- I think hmm. they called her May. It's just the same letters, but <laughs> it's Amy. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> anyway. So she's the Joe in the yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yep. So her father was a transcendentalist, and he was also really good friends with Ralph Waldo Emerson and with oh. David Henry David Thoreau, who were also part of that movement. Um, and he was a very influential person in reforming education for children. Who was um, her, her father? father? Yes. Where do you know where they lived? So she was born in Germantown, Pennsylvania. Hmm. I think they spent most of their life in Massachusetts. Is that where this is set? In Massachusetts? That's yeah. what I've always thought. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know that either. So I think this first little part here happened in Germantown. He, what did I say? He was an influential person in reforming education for children. So he believed that education should be tailored to each child through like dialogue between the teacher and the child. Mm. And it's more of like a personalized education on the teacher and the child or the teacher and the parent? Teacher and the child. Oh, yeah. Let's see, so less big school classes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, less like lecture, her. I guess. Tutoring. More, Tutoring, more dialogue. Yeah. Which is why he loves Mr. Brooks so much. <laughs> she loves Mr. Yeah. Brooks so much. Yeah, and he's a good guy, not a mean school mister. Right, like that other guy. He also encouraged like study of nature and exercise to be a part of their education too. So Louisa was, or Louisa. <laughs> Was mostly educated by her father at home, Mm -hmm. sometimes governesses. Um, They had a time like every morning where they would study. Um, But also Emerson and Hawthorne and Margaret Fuller all had a part of her education, too. And they were all transcendentalists. Yeah. So in 1834, um, I I just want to say Bransom, but it's Bronson. It's Bronson. Bronson. Yeah. Bronson. Yeah. So he moved his family to Boston and he moved there to start a school, um, this progressive school that would kind of go along with his beliefs. It was called Temple School. And he actually got Margaret Fuller and Elizabeth Peabody um, to help teach there. And it it was very progressive. At some point, it was found out that not only was he teaching like a personalized education for each child, but also a personalized view of Jesus. Um, So I'm not sure what all that entailed, but I think that was surprising to some people. So transcendentalism is a worldview. Yes. And we'll get into that with Brandon's letter here. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Hold your horses. Yeah. <laughs> the school, so I guess he opened that in 1834, and by 1840, it was closed. Um, it happened when he admitted a young black girl, and parents were not so excited about that and started pulling their kids. So that school failed. So then, <laughs> this gets really weird. <clears throat> in 1843, so just like three years later, her father started a, 
transcendental utopian commune Ooh. yeah <laughs> in harvard yeah <laughs> that sounds a, pretty weird that was unexpected i wasn't yeah. ready for that <laughs> so they used don't they all go there though <laughs> yeah. i mean people right. who have revolutionists that's true <laughs> revolutionaries yep they used uh no animal products or labor they had no artificial light all property was shared between Wait, everybody. Art- artificial light meaning like candles. Yeah, like nothing. Like just. Wow. Oh, there's the sun. Yeah. In- so Louisa's mother, Abigail, she said there was no animal labor except that of woman because <gasps> the men spent most of their time studying philosophy and did not oh. work. And this was mostly a farm. I wondered how this And worked. with Topia. no mm-hmm. animal labor. <laughs> oh, man. That pretty much left the did women. Did Abigail say that bitterly? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and how did she make breakfast in the morning? <laughs> I don't know. There was only the sun. But it lasted seven months and then failed. <laughs> That's utopia, folks. Yeah. <laughs> so um, at some point after that, Abigail received an inheritance and they got some financial help from Emerson, actually. And so they moved near him to Concord, uh, Massachusetts. And I think the home that they had there was called Hillside. Louisa spent a lot of time in Emerson's library. He had a very extensive one. And so this was when she really got to read a lot of really good literature. How, and was, how old has she been then? I'm not sure. That would have been around 1845. So what? She was born in in 32. Somebody do math. (laughs) 13. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. So so she was young. They moved around a lot, actually. Um, Her father really didn't provide well for the family at Mm. all. Yeah. I think they moved 22 times in 30 years. Whoa. Yeah. And I think it seems like they got a lot of help from family, friends, and and things like that. Um, The house that's in... Little Women, or that it's set in, which is, um, is it Orchard House? Yeah, Orchard House. They they moved there in 1858. And that's the same year that Elizabeth, her sister, died and Anna got married. So she was 16. Yeah. Wow. So in 1849, her first book was published, and it was uh, Flower Fables. Um, and actually, she originally wrote it for Emerson's daughter, um, huh. like four years before that. So I think that was her first work. Again, it was a little unclear. That was your first published work. First published mm-hmm. work because I got some different, on different websites were saying different things and I wasn't mm-hmm. sure. It was probably publication date that was saying one thing was before the other. But, right. Well, yeah. and I think they're also, it seemed, at least based on what Joe did, it was mm-hmm. like being published in a paper. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Being published for free in a paper, mm-hmm. being published under a pseudonym in a paper, like versus actually getting a book. Yeah. It's all That's different. what I was thinking too. Mm-hmm. I was I just think- trying to look in this book for When she was 17, works, but- she wrote um, The Inheritance, which was, I think it had to, she was inspired by one of the Brontes or something. Okay. She was probably the, the youngest when she wrote that, but maybe it got published later. Okay. Yeah. After that, she she worked in Boston as a governess. She she took sewing, and most of this was really just to help her family financially. She felt a strong burden mm-hmm. to take care of her family since her dad really wasn't right doing so hot at that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting to process the book. Yeah. Yeah. Now. Yep. I guess even more interesting too. <laughs> but yeah, uh, during the Civil War, oh, this was really cool. Her family actually was part of the Underground Railroad. Wow. Like, oh, cool. Yeah, this one year they were station masters and they housed a fugitive slave for a week. Wow. Yeah. And during the war um, in 62, she was a hospital nurse. She volunteered for that. And she meant to do it for three months, but she ended up getting typhoid pneumonia about six weeks in and almost died. Something they treated her with there actually contained mercury. And they think that she had mercury poisoning that kind of just weakened her the rest of her life. So she spent mm. um, a lot of times not being well. 
Right after that, her time um, as a nurse kind of inspired her to write hospital sketches. And that was in 63. And it was just kind of about how the hospitals were run. People loved it. It was uh, just, yeah, very popular. Also, right around that same time, she started writing under a pen name, A.M. Bernard. (laughs) And this is really interesting because it kind of follows Joe's storyline a little bit because these were all very sensational stories like spies and thrillers Mm. and death, I guess, you know, just very (laughs) exciting stuff. And she made a good amount of money doing it. And she sent most of it home to her family. Hmm. She said just multiple times, it just seemed like that that was the focus. Like she's just writing because she needs to make make money for her family. So she did that. She did that for a while. And she wrote some other things too. She she tried to write some serious novels that they weren't as popular as her um, pulp fiction, I guess. So I guess we'll go jump on. uh, Somewhere in here, my thing is very sloppy <laughs> it down in your I, composition i think i m- missed a place but she worked as an editor oh here it is yeah she worked as an editor for a while for a children's magazine called mary's museum and i believe it was like an editor that she met there or maybe helped her publish some of her other things but he really wanted her to write a book for girls that was not about fairies <laughs> and she didn't think she could do that. She's like, I don't know what I would write. Uh-huh. Didn't didn't really want to. Any idea what was out there about fairies at the time? Uh, I mean, she, well, that's what she wrote. Her first book was about fairies. Oh, um, did you say that? been, yeah, fairy <laughs> fables. Might have just been in contrast <laughs> oh, yeah. to what she'd previously written. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So this is kind of interesting how she ended up writing Little Women was her father wanted to publish this like philosophy thing. Uh-huh. And the publisher said, well, convince your daughter to write a book for girls, then I'll publish your story. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> so she and did. Does, and does anybody ever read Bronson Alcott's <laughs> philosophy book? No. <laughs> That's funny. It's really interesting that her... I was wondering as I was reading, oh, the March, Mr. March, mm-hmm. Father March, was pretty darn perfect. <laughs> and it seems like maybe he was like her idealized version of what she hoped her father would yes. be. Mm-hmm. Instead and he of, was often wore a more noble right so yeah they're poor, they're poor for noble reasons yeah that he, he was like, a chaplain right yeah they're they're stable their home is full of love i wonder mm-hmm. if it's and that's why he doesn't really have any faults because he's not he's not a real person mm-hmm. whereas Mar, I, it seems like marmy and a lot of and the girls are based off of real people yeah <laughs> more so that's really interesting Yep. So Little Women was published in two parts. Um, in 68, she published the first part. And then in 69, she published Good Wives. And now they're mostly combined into one book. Except, um, of course, when they're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're surprised. Do <laughs> <laughs> you think you have six pages left? Yeah. And I'm missing half of the book that I remember. <laughs> but yeah, it was very, very popular. Well, this is a little funny, little side note too, but people would come to meet her and she really didn't like being in the limelight that much. So this one month, I think she had like a hundred people come to her door. So she started pretending that she was the maid when she'd answer the door. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Oh man. Pretend Um, I was the maid of my own house. Yeah. (laughs) Uh It wouldn't work. (laughs) I mean, we- bad maid. We've done that. (laughs) I do that answering telemarketers. We used to back when we had a house phone. Oh, I'm sorry. There's nobody by that name here. <laughs> Something like that. Just the babysitter. No. <laughs> <laughs> After that, um, she did make a good amount of money, I think, for the time. And she kind of could never go back to adult fiction mm-hmm. so much. I mean, I think that she wanted to, but the stuff really 
really sold. And I think there's a quote by her that I have somewhere. She said, 20 years ago, I resolved to make the family independent if I could. At 40, that is done. Debts all paid, Hmm. even the outlawed ones. And we have enough to be comfortable. It has cost me my health, perhaps. But as I still live, there is more for me to do, I suppose. She paid off all her family's debts and made them comfortable. But people loved her so much for the children's writing that that is most of what she did for the rest of her Mm -hmm. life. And she didn't really talk so much about the pseudonym (laughs) either. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And she did write some other things, too. She wrote some, like, essays, and I think she wrote a satire on the the time at – did I say that the little commune was called the Fruitlands? That's what it was called. Yeah, That's funny. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think that was – I'd like to read that satire. I think it was called Transcendental Oats or something like that. Uh, She also was very active in women's rights and in the temperance movement. Mm -hmm. She was – like big on encouraging women to vote. And she was the first person to register to vote in Concord. I think that was in 1879 when they said that women could vote if it had to do with children or education. And so she was the first person to register and she voted on like the school board, something, you know. Yeah. And she was like the secretary of the temperance society or, you know, something like that. So she never married? Nope. She never married. I was waiting for that. I was yeah. going to ask it. <laughs> did Which she... I kind of wondered. I was interested to think and compare the book. Like, did she yeah. wish that there was, you know, uh-huh. a professor? A professor Bear. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> did she, so did, you said her older sister married? Yes. Did her younger sister too? Yes. Okay. She actually, her sister, May, she died. And she left, like, I think she may have died, like, right after childbirth. And she, she um, Louisa kind of adopted her daughter, whose name was Louisa, and she called her Lulu, which is really sweet because I call my daughter Lulu. That's really <laughs> cute. <laughs> yeah. So she adopted her, but she also adopted, legally adopted, her older sister Anna's son because she was, Anna was widowed. Oh. And um, her son is the one that got, like, all the royalties and rights to her her works. Oh, wow. Interesting. It's like her nephew. Yeah. And that's a lot like... Little Men. Have you read Little Men and Joe's Boys? It's been Boys? a really long time. So Little Men and Joe's Boys, Joe and Professor Bear open, or like they, they have a couple of their own kids, but mm-hmm. they also take in like all these orphaned boys. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. It's like that really, that's a lot of where her heart was, was for actually for orphans. and. Mm-hmm. So Lulu was only eight when Louisa died. Louisa died in 1888 at the age of 55. And she died two oh. days after her father died. Oh. Um, Louisa had a stroke and People looking back think that she actually might have had lupus because of like some signs like she had a particular kind of rash like on her cheeks and things like that. So they think that she was weakened by the mercury poisoning Mm -hmm. and then perhaps Mm -hmm. had lupus and, you know, some other things going on. But she wrote uh, around 300 literary works, which I had no idea. I've read a couple of it. I've read Rosenbloom and Mm -hmm. Eight Cousins. I've read those. Uh, but I have no memory of them. I read them in college. I don't really remember them. One of the things that she wrote was a collection of short stories. And they were called, um, it's something for the Lulu in the title. It was really sweet. Um, going to have to look for it. You took copious notes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I kept rewriting it and like putting like more things in and uh-huh. then trying to. Uh, I can't think of it. So any idea what her mother was like? No, but it didn't seem like there was a whole lot about her mom. It's going to really bother me that I can't remember the name of that just (laughs) because I thought it was really sweet. That's okay. Obviously, she must have had a a sweet relationship with her niece, though, because Mm -hmm. she wrote stories for her and named after her. Yeah, that's sweet. 
Interesting dynamic. You, um, so she took in her nephew. Mm-hmm. Mr. March is Aunt March's nephew. Mm-hmm. And she was kind of sort of the benefactor. Mm-hmm. Benefactress. Grudgingly. <laughs> Benefactress. Oh, you miss uh, one of my favorite parts in the second part in Good Wives is uh, so Aunt March tells Meg, if you marry that man, I'll never give you anything. Well, that's the very end of part right. one. So then she, but she regrets that. And so oh. the, the little story in Good Wives is that she convinced a friend, like she gave a friend money to get, to buy all of her linens, to buy all of Meg's like new sheets and oh, things nice. to yeah. give to her yeah. and ma- and don't say it's ever from Aunt March, but they all found out. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, it's pretty funny. Lulu's library. All right. You guys ready for... Some transcendentalism. Yeah, the letter from the contextual Woo-hoo! Texan. Okay. All right. Is it, is it written to us or yes, to Bookening of. readers? Or it listeners. says, dear ladies of the Bookening. Okay. Ooh. <laughs> Sorry, gentlemen, you got to turn off your podcast thing. <laughs> your <laughs> turn off your ears. <laughs> <clears throat> dear ladies of the Bookening, I was going to say little women, but let's be honest. You guys are beyond that. Ooh. <laughs> First from Anna, I expect a hail and hearty. Yeehaw! <laughs> Nicely Very done. Nice. You Very did nice. a good job. Danny and Amanda, I trust you won't let her read any further until her yeehaw shakes a sound, proofing <laughs> off those walls. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can trust all you want, Brandon. <laughs> We're not breaking anything. <clears throat> Second, Anna, mon amour. I love it when you read context to me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's beautiful. (laughs) A preamble. I'd never read Little Women until this week. I'm not the one giving a review, so I'll keep to myself whether it filled a void in my literary knowledge. Professor Regina Bereka, who wrote the introduction to the volume I just finished, suggests I can't understand American feminism without digesting this book. Hmm. I have my doubts. (laughs) (laughs) I also have my doubts whether Regina Bereka understands American feminism. Or whether the 1800s American feminism is a thing worth understanding, or just a category Baraka and her friends made up to discuss it. Like when my grandfather convinced me to hunt snipe. (laughs) (laughs) My impression of the book, my impression of the book, it's what Charles Lamb would have done with a retelling of Pride and Prejudice. Softening the edges, removing all unlikable characters, made the sisters' faults charming. But Anna only needs literary context from me. Oh my goodness, I can't read this. (laughs) But Anna... Amanda can read it to you. (laughs) But Anna only needs literary context from me, so I'll leave it there. She's providing the bio, which I'm expecting will be the definitive Alcott biography. Any luck, we can live off the proceeds. (laughs) So literary context. As Anna has pointed out, Louisa May Alcott was foremost a businesswoman. She lived for years under the oppressive roof of a father who wouldn't work who thought philosophy more important than providing for his family. He was a failed poet, a failed social reformer, a failed educator. Some of his motives were honorable. His schoolhouse closed because he admitted black students. But in the end, he was a skimple, which to our Mm. listeners who've read Bleak House is not a compliment. No, it's not. (laughs) He was a man who thought his his poetry and ideas more valuable than they were. Few others agreed with him, and so he had to live off the kindness of friends and the not-so-kindness of his creditors. Alcott seemed to respect her father while also seeing him for who he was. It is telling that the father plays such a small role in Little Women, not able to provide a sense of authority or direction, leaving his women to learn self-reliance. Alcott would have learned the same principle from her father and friends while discussing transcendentalism. 
Her father would have made this principle a necessity due to his failure to provide for, for and protect his daughters. Anne inspired Louisa to create a type familiar in literature. Think of Mr. Bennett or Antonia's father, the intellectual patriarch, too taken up by the idea of his greatness to do anything of value. Understanding her father's failures makes it clear why Alcott became a populist writer. The shame Joe feels when, when, when Bayer discovers her sensational publications would have been a familiar source of shame for Alcott. She began her career wanting to be a great writer but had to provide for her family. And when she tried to create more mature works like Moods, critics were not impressed. It wasn't until she, like Joe, listened to her publishers and cut the fluff she thought would make her great and landed on the formula that made her rich. Her publishers wanted a work that would sell, like the best-selling Hans Brinker or Silver Skates or Alice in Wonderland, which were both first published in 1865. With the improvements brought on by industrialization and technology, children's literature, like all literature, witnessed a change in the mid-1800s. There was a sudden surplus of cheap, populist publications, literary journals, and magazines that would pay $100 or less for a story. These publications proved provided a platform for many developing authors, think Dickens as a contemporary of Alcott's, or Fenmore Cooper, <laughs> whose stories of American adventures predated her own by about 20 years. Then there were more res respectable venues like The Atlantic that would also pay for poetry or stories. Alcott took advantage of both avenues. This growing literary economy inaugurated a golden age of children's literature and the introduction of authors such as Lewis Carroll and Alcott. We still remember them today. It is worth noting that this was just a decade before Tom Sawyer, the high point of boys' literature in America. As Little Women is the high point of girls. As publication and printing capabilities continue to improve, and the power <laughs> of the dollar children for their parents. Oh, I see. And the power of the dollar children or their parents might spend on novels suited for them. So the content of those novels changed to fit demand. What used to be prim primarily didactic and educational shifted to entertainment, to appeals to the imagination. At the same time, realism, as opposed to Victorian sentimentality, was on the rise with Tolstoy and George Eliot and shifting the literary landscape. Since Alcott, like Joe, felt the necessity of providing for her family, she put her literary aspirations aside and did what sold in the new environment. This social reality, more than anything else, explains Little Woman. Does it have feminist aspects? Yes. Does it have liberal progressive aspects? Yes. If you think about what at the time would have looked progressive, but the actions of the protagonists of Little Women are tame compared to the radical ideas proposed only half a century earlier by Mary Wollstonecraft, a true proto-feminist whose ideas led to the free love lifestyle of her daughter, Mary Shelley, and the romantic poets. Alcott does share in the heritage of, of the independent woman author, but by the mid-1850s, we'd already seen Austen and the Brontes. And then there was George Eliot, who would have been mid-career when Little Women was published, and a mere few years from publishing her masterpiece, Middlemarch. And since all these novels deal with the feminine perspective in a complicated way, the claim that there was anything truly radical in Alcott's writing a novel from the perspective of a woman is suspect, to say the least. And if one argues the revolution is her writing about young girls, this doesn't give her much and forgets Jane Eyre, not to mention Mansfield Park. Finally, though feminism had philosophical precedents in France at this time, feminism would not become part of the American political lexicon until the early 1900s and the suffrage movements. So whatever aspects of feminism might be in the book, they are not intentional or thought of as feminist in the sense that they would be half a century later. 
It is true a sort of feminism was tied to the philosophical environment Alcott experienced through her father and friends. For one, progressive attitudes towards equality of property ownership and working and voting rights were already a staple of the American intelligentsia. Alcott was a, a contemporary with both Florence Nightingale and Sojourner Truth. But Alcott would also have known these ideas personally through her father's involvement with the Transcendentalism movement and his friends Emerson and Thoreau, who are both foundational Transcendentalist thinkers. So what was Transcendentalism? Great question. <laughs> I've been wondering <laughs> yes. this. Do tell. A foundational American philosophy. It began in the Harvard Divinity School in the 1830s with the Unitarians, combining British skepticism with doses of German biblical interpretation, which was bad, and a serious misunderstanding of Kant's idealism. So like most American products, it was a foreign hybrid. It asserted that the individual and nature is as is essentially good, mm. corrupted by social institutions and the importance of self-reliance and independence of thought in bringing the individual to valuable moral principles and insight. The buzzwords of American individualism and independence largely come from it. Interesting. It makes sense. Well, yeah, that was all over this book. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Alcott's father's friends, who were also her childhood tutors, would have inevitably infected her with this philosophy. Emerson and Thoreau would have taught her self-reliance, and Thoreau perhaps help romanticize the lazy independence of her father through his own lifestyle of living off the good graces of Emerson, building a shack near his pond. Margaret Fuller, a woman's rights activist and transcendental intellectual, would have taught her progressive ways of understanding politics and gender. Her father would have offered a picture of what it meant to live as a transcendentalist, <laughs> glorifying ideas over work, valuing ways of living that could be good, like admitting black children to school, or foolish, like living as a vegan on a failed communist farm, <laughs> which Alcott satired in Transcendental Wild Oats. <laughs> Whatever the case, it is doubtless this philosophy would have affected Alcott in dealing with its aftermath, been a predominant theme of her life. Whether or not it also affected her writing, that's for you guys to decide. Warmly, Brandon. This is the first all-female plus Brandon episode. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Thanks for all those talking points, Brandon. Yeah, yeah. thanks. I want, One of the things that I wrote on my Wendy's napkin with my Sharpie was <laughs> feminist? Question <laughs> mark? Um, because it is. Yeah, there are... Obviously, lots of elements of independence, oh, and yeah. so here, I, what? What do you guys think? <laughs> Was Lisa Malika a feminist? I don't know. It's really, it's really weird that she wrote the book that she did. Uh huh. I mean, it has all these scenes in it, like, like when she's in New York or wherever she is. Wait, is it New York? New York I think in the it's book? New York. I can't remember. I'm maybe mixing it up with a movie. I'm pretty know. sure it's New York. <laughs> Amanda didn't read that. Part. I don't know. Eight years ago, but like, there's this scene where. She is sitting in this boarding house and there's all these men that are just like talking about like philosophy, the new philosophies, mm. and she's finding herself being like carried away by their talk. And then Professor Bayer comes mm -hmm. and he sees that she's kind of like being carried away and he's like steps in it. And even though he's very quiet, he argues with them. Right. Did you, you yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I read that part. Yeah. I mean, so you see like scenes like that where it's just like... <laughs> I mean, what, what's she saying then, you know, obviously that Joe needed a, a man to come in and yeah. talk some sense into her. Well, she, yeah, yeah, she needed an older, wiser true. man. Yeah. Well, this in the, the whole book is so domestic. Mm -hmm. Like every, like she clearly loved the home. And even I have, there's, there's one point, I have one of the early chapters where she talks about how each of the girls, their unique gifts beautified the home in a different way. Mm -hmm. So she, she has a broad view of what a woman can be. Which I think is good. 
because obviously the four girls are very different and that they can actually, but they each have domestic skills. Even, you know, wild cult Joe mm-hmm. is a really good nurse. Yeah. You know, things like that, which I, I think that one is, is herself. Joe is obviously Louisa May Alcott. Yeah. Um, and has the most sympathy on that. So I think she's writing herself. But there's there's just a love for the home. And there's I, even a love for their father, mm-hmm. the authority in the home. And he was obviously the head of the home. It was a really sweet moment when Marmy was about to go away and they were considering that he might not make it. Mm-hmm. And it was as if the whole day darkened, as if all happiness was going to be breathed out of their life yeah. or something like that. Like the very life breath of who they were, who their home was, was about to be extinguished when you don't have that. And if she was a feminist, mm-hmm. at least there was still some foundational father figure authority, male-female balance happening. Mm. There's a great part, too, after Beth dies, when Alcott talks about how Joe was softened by that, and she's she loves Meg's babies, she sees Meg and John and how happy they are, and she thinks, huh, like, maybe I do want to get married. And Meg's like, yeah, you want to get married. <laughs> <laughs> but Meg does it really carefully, yeah. and that's well, it's Joe a- does that for her, actually, in the first part. They're dreaming about their castles in the sky. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Meg has this really romantic, dreamy thing about surround being surrounded by the people she loves and just like, you mean children, right? Yeah. And Meg is like, well, okay, I said the people I love. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I th- so... I, maybe she maybe she was a feminist in her day, but I can't think of any modern feminist reading this. Yeah, and and being Taking, on board yeah, with any of it. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't understand how they can can read it and think. Just a, you know, well, I mean, I it know. could have been like <laughs> one tiny peg, right? You know, climbing up the feminist ladder, as it were. But it was a really tiny one, <laughs> <laughs> at least to yeah. us. Yeah. Well, and. Yeah, maybe maybe a feminist can pull out that tiny peg, but man, like I, there were so many things in here. Where I was like, well, I need to do better at that in my mm-hmm, home, yeah. and I need to better at that in my home. And oh, that's a really good point. And uh, <laughs> even, I, yeah. I mean, just the positivity and lack of mm-hmm. any cynicism, like no zero zilch ounce of cynicism. Mm-hmm. All self awareness, all you know, my faults and things that I can improve, and piety yeah and all of it and there's you know so much about individualism that's clearly a prize thing even you know you know these the american girls are individualists and you get Mm -hmm. that in the in part two when they're over when they're abroad but also so much about Mm self-sacrifice and self-service and how they actually will find fulfillment in your life by giving to others Mm -hmm. and that's that's i don't know quite how she reconciled those two things being an extreme individualist and serving others. But yeah. I think is... part of it being transcendentalist is thinking that a sacrifice is very, or self denial is like sweet. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Well, you should think about um, them going to have this utopian society. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's all largely others focused. So there was still some of that. At um, play. Unless, of course, you're the man <laughs> talking, discussing <laughs> philosophy. Yeah. And making the women yes, work. Right. Yes. <laughs> well, we're talking about little women, I guess. <laughs> I meant to, uh, I think it's in where I first read it, maybe Carolyn Mahaney's Feminine Appeal, mm-hmm. I think in the introduction or something, where there's a journal entry, probably, probably from the time period that the book is set in from a woman, from a young girl, and then compared to maybe a hypothetical 
journal entry of a modern girl. And it was very much in line with how these girls were talking and little women. Hmm. I need to improve on all these faults of mine, so on and so forth. And then the modern girl was my friends this or my parents this and I'm Mm -hmm. so unfortunate or I want these things. Just the stark contrast of, like I said, self-awareness or thinking of others, your place is it's not just you, but your place in the family, in the home, in the community. Well, you get some of that from them in the beginning, <clears throat> especially from Amy. Yeah. Um, who then is taught and trained well by a good, like by by an authority figure. So I, that's probably who we don't really like. Oh, oh, the teacher. No, I was thinking of Marmy. Oh, I was thinking um, about later. So it's not in the beginning, but Aunt, or, um, Aunt March. Oh yeah. Oh Aunt March. <laughs> <laughs> who yeah. Alcott still kind of loves. There's still affection there. Mm-hmm. You can tell. I don't know who Aunt March is after, but there's some affection <laughs> there. Even when she well, like picks up, tucks her cane under her arm and dances at Meg's wedding because <laughs> um, Mr. Lawrence uh, asked her to dance. So there's still some affection there. Hmm. All right. Context. Solid. Yep. Good work. Thanks, Thanks Brandon. Thanks, yeah. Anna. <laughs> Thanks, Justines. Thanks, Texans. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. My other, well, we can talk about Joe and Lori. Here we have options. We can talk about Joe and Lori. We can talk about, I'm curious if there's any, I, I have a theory that I would like to be confirmed or denied about who you identify with mm-hmm. as you read the book. <laughs> I was wondering mm-hmm. that too. Yep. And those are all the questions that I remember right now that I've written down on my napkin. So Anna, who do you identify with as you read the book? I feel like it's a hard question because you want to identify <laughs> with Joe somehow. Uh-huh. But I don't think I'm Joe at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't decide if I was really more like meg or amy and i really didn't want to be like amy because i felt like she was just the least mature and the most vain right. and all well, she, she's the youngest <laughs> it's true but she is the artist and that is yep. your one defining feature yeah. on the show <laughs> you're welcome the artist is the smartest yeah. the artist is the smartest so i don't know i decided i ended up being something of a combo between meg and amy but Joe's still my favorite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Amanda? Um, I think more as a child, I was Beth. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting because I was going to say I didn't think anybody would really be Beth. I thought she was too perfect. Except <laughs> <Uh-oh>. Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I have an inner Joe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm Just maybe in the quietness. I, I think maybe I swing from Joe to Beth. Mm. Maybe, maybe we're all really too. We should probably personality type. Yeah. yeah. Are you? Is there, I bet there's a, a quiz Meg. out there. Yeah. Yeah. Meg, Joe, Beth, or Amy. Or probably all Buzz hybrid. You're kind of a Joe with mm-hmm. a sub Meg. Yeah. Um, I definitely have some self-loathing that Joe has. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was, I'm like total. I'm a lot of Joe. As, as a as a, as younger, I was 100% a Joe. Like, Joe sitting in the attic, eating apples, reading books, crying. <laughs> Talking to your pet <laughs> This rat. is me. Yeah. Like, this This is this is I. And But now I'm, I think I'm much more of a Meg. Can I, can I, I be It a, seems mm-hmm. hard to define Meg. Uh-huh. Well, in I my think, mind, at least. I think she actually changes the most. Because mm-hmm. she goes from really, like, upper edge of girlhood mm-hmm. to, like, children which i guess they all get children in the end but she you get the most of her like motherhood life her arc because um, she seems so young when it starts right and she is mm-hmm. uh, but i think about <clears throat> yeah so how old are they when the book ends i don't remember how many years does it cover it's something like 
what the first part is a year. a year. Yeah. Then there's I think there's a four year gap in the mm-hmm. middle, and then I think Amy is in Europe for like three years. Yeah, something like that. Because that's that's huh. why there's a lot of time for I Amy and Lori yes. to fall in love. Time. It's like t- it's like two or three years, and yeah, because Demi and Daisy, because they they get married. Demi and Daisy are born. They're like toddlers, mm-hmm. or anyway. So when I think about like I. Meg is, I think, 13, 16 at the start. Meg's mm. 16. Uh, she's 17. Joe is 16. Okay. Alex and I started dating when we were 16. <laughs> and to think about who I am now, like, yeah, I've changed a lot. It's kind of <laughs> hard to define who I am. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so I think Meg really starts to come into, like, actual womanhood. Mm-hmm. And I think some of Meg's struggles are interesting, like the whole part where she goes to the party and she wants to be mm-hmm. accepted and then she lets them dress her up and oh, she right. plays the part and she reflects on that later yeah yeah it's like you know she she's immodest but you know oh yeah and Lori is appalled in her yeah right <laughs> that's what i feel like that's real stuff that like yeah. has happened yes I, <laughs> yes yeah i can totally relate to that yeah that felt Middle very school, real high school so my my theory was that that you tend to relate to Joe just because I think she's maybe better written than anybody else. Yeah. Because she's Alka. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you're, and you're doing a, a lot of seeing through her too. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think too that a lot of, if you're a young girl who picks up this book, mm-hmm. you're probably a reader. Yes. You're probably a reader yeah. who <laughs> sits in the attic eating apples and reading books and talking to your rat named yes. Scrabble. Yeah, wishing they had um, a pet rat. <laughs> So I, can't, I, I, can't I think that's part of it is that like I was Joe as a kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, I read all the time, all the constantly. Time. <laughs> yep. There was a there was a summer. I did summer swim team. I was not a total couch potato. <laughs> there was a summer where we actually had to switch the couch cushions because I would just plant myself intention? on one end of the couch <laughs> and just read all summer long. I'd like go to go to swim practice in the morning and then come home and just read. And so half probably through the summer we switched the cushions. <laughs> That's great. I'm sure I did like I, I'm sure I did chores. I remember being outside, but <laughs> mostly just read and that's why i thought i could tackle 300 pages this afternoon mm, wow but yeah. i now have five children um also i was like trying to plow through it and thinking this is not a book that is like designed mm-hmm. to be plowed no. through some like, parts are confusing actually well in each just chapter like and that's it's totally not a cliffhanger book at all <laughs> yeah each chapter ends like a, a story yes as, yeah. and in the second half too especially when they when they get more scattered it's like here we are with Amy in Europe, and now we're gonna go back to Meg. Like everything ends very. Yeah, it's like so. a sitcom. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, little... it's a 19th century sitcom. <laughs> you have your little story episodes, and then you're done. It's true. Little Woman sitcom. <laughs> That's why it's the miniseries yeah. and the whatever. Yeah. Who did? Yeah, that? I wish I could have watched some of the movies. Who did I that? Think, what is it? It's, on? A, it's a PBS miniseries, PBS. and I bet it's good. I'm gonna see it. Um, <laughs> I actually started it on PBS like last summer. I think it came out last summer. I started it and then I went back to watch more of it the next week. All of a sudden, PBS only offered it to like subscribers or something. Mm. So I literally saw about 10 minutes of it. Tisk, tisk. It was PBS. great. Yeah, it was 10 minutes. <laughs> so good. And then there is, I think the reason we actually did this episode is because there was a new movie yes. version last yep. year. Like a modern one. Or is there a new one coming out this year, too? Uh, is there a new one? I'm pretty sure. Oh, what? there's that Sir Sir Sharonin. Well, however you say her name. I don't know. I don't know how to say her name. It's Irish. I apologize to all our Irish listeners. All our Irish all listeners. All of them. I should ask my Irish neighbors. 
but they're not here. Uh, Sir Ronan. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> no, I don't. It's spelled like S-A-I-O-R-S-E. S-A-I. But you know, those names are always pronounced weird. You're like, sure. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's, it's, pro- it's probably like, I, I can't even, I can't even hazard a guess. I don't know. Stacy. Well, I didn't know it was coming out. <laughs> I think I mentioned to Brandon that there was a modern one last mm-hmm. year. And he's like, well, there's one coming out this year. I think that's why. That one I think it's is, so is like set. It's like just the book though. Okay. This one that came uh, out last year was like a modern retelling. And the, yeah. the preview looked legitimately very good. The cover of the movie looked ridiculous. <laughs> it looked like super cheap B movie. I awful. was really surprised when you said the trailer looked really good. I remember the trailer being I good. Don't, yeah. I mean, I don't think I ever watched the trailer actually, but yeah. But you didn't watch it? I just it? couldn't imagine well, that it would be good. I didn't, I, well, I didn't watch it partly because well, we were out of town all weekend. It was actually due back on Monday, and I just got a return today, and I still didn't watch it. So it I didn't owe money to show library. in town. It only had select theaters, right? It was it was a pretty small opening anyway. Yeah. But do you know anybody who was in it? You remember? Nope. Is it my job to Google this? Yes. <laughs> the problem that is your job. You are of Jake, the pastor, <laughs> um, pastor's wife, who is a master of googling. Googling. <laughs> then the biggest problem with any movie or TV adaptation is that Joe's always too pretty, like always. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because in the book, it like her one beauty is her hair. Yep. And they yeah. say that all the time. Yeah. But you just can't do that. <laughs> Did anybody have trouble picturing Amy's nose? <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> no, no matter what, I couldn't imagine it. I actually have. Well, it's funny. My I had a neighbor growing oh, up weird. who's blonde with a, a wider nose. Like not, you know, not a very slim Grecian nose. And so I kind of pictured her. Joe isn't especially pretty in this one. No, she's not. That's one thing I liked about it, actually, in the preview. That one? Is that the one you're looking at? The new one? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm looking at the 2018 one. Yes, that's what so I... So Leah Thompson. I she's Marmy. Leah Thompson is... Oh, drat. I'm terrible at this. Yeah. She's somebody. Is she in uh, Back to the Future? That's her, right? I don't recognize her at all. Really? I'm going to pronounce that name that I didn't know how to pronounce before. It's pronounced Searsha. Oh, yes. Searsha Ronan. Oh, I, I she love was, that name, um, actually. She was <laughs> Lady Bird. Yes. Yes, she is. That woman looks like she's been in a movie I've seen. <laughs> right? She's she's got. A, I'm pretty sure she's Back to the Future. She is Back to the Future. I didn't. I should have looked this up on IMDb. <laughs> IMDb. You're First right. thing, Back to the Future. You're so good. Nice. Her name is actually Catherine. No, Leah Catherine. You are a master at googling. <laughs> she's the youngest of five children. We don't need to know this. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, uh, that one I. Like maybe would have watched, um, but I didn't have time to. Also, wasn't sure my husband would watch any adaptations of <laughs> yeah. the women, and I could. So my plan was actually to watch it while he was in China, but I hadn't finished the book by then, and I didn't want anything to replace my memories of the book. And really, I just did this all in the wrong order, like totally <laughs> wrong order. I should have just watched it while he was gone. Apologies. We'll just have to have a look in an episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll watch four versions of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, sorry, giggling. Okay. Oh, I had a question. Bear with me. Wait a Nathan. second. I had a question. Oh, okay. So you pull up Little Women 2019 and pictures from like all of the movies come up. Like the very first picture is from the 1994 version. I don't think with... it's coming out this year. This oh. year's Sharonan one. Oh. Well, I think it's next if year. you go down to the cast, Emma Watson, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Is she Joe? No. Oh, she's Meg. Yes. Emma Watson is Meg March. Timothy Chalamet, or Chalamet, oh, yeah. whatever, is Laurie. Searsha. Searsha. 
Sister Sharona is Joe March. She was not very pretty in Lady Bird, so you're right. Yeah, we'll she's, see what she's happens. Much Ooh, Meryl Streep, Aunt March. Mm, sounds fierce. Yeah, Florence. Can Emma Watson do an American accent? I don't know. Cause she surely. You say surely. Surely, <laughs> surely, surely she can. Florence Pugh or Pugh. I would say Pugh. Pugh <laughs> is Amy March. Laura Dern, who was what's her face on um, yes. Purple Hair Lady in Star Wars? Yes, unfortunate. <laughs> is, is she Marmy? Mary March? Who's Mary March? Marmy. Is that Marmy's real name? Maybe. Oh, yes, it must be because I, I think she's Margaret. Mm. That's because yeah. they named Daisy after Meg and okay. her grandmother. Her, her Eliza mom. Scanlon is Beth March. Don't know who that is. I recognize the name. You can... Bob Odenkirk. Um, I had a question, mm-hmm. but I don't remember what it was. <laughs> Sorry. Well, while you're thinking, what did you guys think of <clears throat> Beth? I have, always have a hard time connecting with Beth because she really just seems so perfect. Mm-hmm. It does make sense, though, with the transcendentalism because they think that you're supposed to like kind of be worthy, I guess, mm-hmm. to be in heaven. And Yeah, well, I do. I did think of, like, I've known people who have had children die young. Um, yes, yeah, so a family that we know who had a child die young who said, we always thought she's just a little too good for this world. Mm. And we wondered what would happen as she got older. She seems so innocent and so good. What's going to happen to this child? And then God took her young. I think there really are situations like that, like mm. Beth, where yeah, you would you would really worry about Beth as she got older, just what would ha- what would actually happen to her gentle nature and mm-hmm. um, her service for others. How much would she get taken advantage of? All these things, but instead she dies young, and and it's just a hmm. a godly influence on everyone around her. But that being said, there's some not great theology in this. As I was reading Beth today, I actually thought of a woman, young woman that we know mm-hmm. that reminded me of her or Beth or the other way. Just very quiet, but a lot of people like her. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that Amy says. I want to be really liked if I'm going to you know, be the end, at the end of my days. I want people to love me as everyone has proven to love Beth, which is kind of strange because of Beth's shyness. Mm-hmm. To a fault. Yeah, yeah. In many cases. I don't know. What, what were you? You said you couldn't relate to Beth. Was there another part of your wonderings about that? About her? No. She just overall just always seemed so perfect. <clears throat> the thing I, I was gonna... like, I've just been eating the chocolate chips and the cranberries <laughs> yeah. for the yeah. record. Everything else is a little just sticks in your teeth, you know, a little too I crunchy. I want to go back to the movie, but the thing I was going to say about the movie is that Lady Bird was coming of age. The coming of age uh-huh. movie. And it's probably the way this is. The way her. Yeah take with little women oh yeah this i'm probably falsely remembering this from an article so take that for what it's worth which is not very much but i'm pretty sure so much i think i think timothy chalamet might have played a homosexual or a transgender something in another movie and so this director's like hey look like joe like joe's played this like this girl who's kind of feels like a boy and he's a boy who's really sensitive and we really like don't i was like "Mm." Oh, like I want to watch that movie. Mm-hmm. Based on that article, there's yeah. a really great summary from me. <laughs> okay, if you would probably all, you're supposed to say that you like Joe the best, probably. Mm-hmm. Who did you like the least? I never, I never click with Amy. Yeah. Yep. I understand. Like there were little, uh, there were little moments reading it this time that I really got better, but just not quite it. I don't remember anything about her part two self. She matures a lot. Well, I think, so how, so she starts as 12, 13, 16, so she's like 17 or 18. Okay, so she goes over to Europe. She ends up 
being with Aunt March, and they have yeah. another aunt, Aunt I think is probably Marmy's relation, who decides to take Amy with them to Europe. Oh, and Joe loses yeah. her opportunity by mm-hmm, because Joe's blabbering, <laughs> right? Because Joe's like Aunt March is bossy, and I don't like her, and so she's all bratty. And hmm. Aunt Carol's like not taking you to Europe, yeah. taking your sweet little sister who charms everyone. <laughs> uh, but it's a good growing time for Joe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they go to Europe. Lori goes over there after he's like devastated by Joe and Amy like rebukes him for being lazy and makes him man up. And then they're separated again and they come and they he comes back when Beth dies. They correspond in between. Yes, they write letters to each other. And um, and then he comes and comforts her when Beth dies because she's still in Europe. Yeah. So yeah, Amy seems. Is he a, mu- is he a musician? He tries yeah. for a little bit. They both. Well, they both <clears throat> discover because she goes to to do art mm. and he's doing music and they both discover that talent is not genius. But which is interesting though cuz I I've had that feeling before too. Yeah. Just kind of like, you know, never going to be a genius, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a lot of like what women were made to be. There's, you were talking about women can be different things and mm-hmm. have different talents or, you know, avenues of interest and still be a woman, be domestic, mm-hmm. whatever, be feminine, but you're not like you're not the artist, you're not the musician, you're not right. the generalist writer, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. wide, wide interests, nothing mm-hmm. really deep. Mm-hmm. That's how I justify. Uh, like I've made one quilt in my life. Yeah, <laughs> I don't need to be a quilter. Yeah, <laughs> and even it wasn't if, even a very complicated. Quilt. Yeah, even I mean you can have those interests, but even those things are like I don't have to be that one thing. Mm-hmm. I don't even have to be all the things. Mm-hmm. You just dabble and that's okay. Mm-hmm. But I would say that they both like Amy realize that pretty quickly, whereas I think most people don't. <laughs> a lot of people uh, yeah. don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think Alcott's pretty nice to them. <laughs> yeah. To let them not well, maybe that's a little uh a little uh I don't know, commentary on some of the people she knew growing up among idealists and like, hey guys, maybe you should have quit early. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> quit while you're ahead. Just provide um, for your family. Yeah. Yeah, and so and so I remember reading once that after Little Women ended, so everyone, all the readers were like, Joe and Lori, this is so obvious, mm-hmm. you need to get married. And Alcott knew, she was like, this, no, this is a bad idea. And so that's part how she wrote that into part two. So what do you think? Was she right? Were they been a bad fit? Were they like Flint and, what is that, Iron and Flint? Is that what Marmy says? I don't know. Maybe I got that from somewhere else, from some other great classic. (laughs) I have fresh in my mind where Joe suggests Lori and Meg when Joe is so down on Brooke Brooke for Meg. Mm -hmm. So appalled. Yeah, Lori and Meg should get together, blah, blah, blah. And Marmy says, no, no, no. He's way too young and immature and Uh they're the bad fit for sure. Well, then Joe thinks that Beth is in love with Lori. And don't have any memory of that either. Yeah, I, I'd forgotten that because too. Meg, oh no, sorry, because Beth like cries when she sees Lori walking by, and something about her heart hurting or something yeah. like that, and so she thinks that Beth loves him. Mm-hmm. Really, I think she's just mourning the fact that she's not ever gonna right. live a normal life. Oh yeah, she sees how alive he is and is realizing that she's dying, uh-huh. and then Lori's so so affectionate to her, and Joe decides he's in love with her too. Mm. When in fact he's in love with Joe the whole time, right? And she doesn't want to admit that. Joe's um, blind. She is blind. I believe that Joe and Lori are a bad fit, and I actually like Lori and Amy together. But I don't totally. Their story isn't quite convincing. How it goes down, mm-hmm. I don't know if it just needed more time or if the Joe Lori needed less 
time. Like then maybe maybe Alcott should have pulled that reined that back in a little bit so I'd believe Amy Laurie a little more. Hmm. I don't know. Um because Amy gets then her finery and mm-hmm. like but but a life of generosity. Mm-hmm. You know, not a Sally Gardner, Sally Moffat life. And so she gets to be still part of the family and wealthy, but generous and I was glad that Laurie, there was that one line where he tells Joe he thinks if he hadn't been so, you know, over over eager that this would have happened naturally, that he would have fallen for Amy eventually. Oh, yeah. I, I, I didn't read that far. That <laughs> if, she, if he hadn't have been so, been so insistent about, on like and so obsessed with about like, Joe. Joe. Yeah. Huh. Mm-hmm. I just don't believe the whole time in part one, their friendship was that it was just totally friendship. I mean, well, it wasn't on his part. Yeah, it wasn't on his his part. part. And it probably was just willful blindness on Joe's part. Mm -hmm. I mean, she doesn't want Meg to be in love either. Well, and you get that, especially the beginnings of part, I get part two. I think it's mostly part two where he'll look at her and she like cuts him off. Mm. Like she really knows it's happening. She has her sharp pillow or whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah, Her her big like (laughs) sprinkly pillow. Um, She knows it's happening, but also wishes that it isn't. Basically, mm-hmm. it's probably like the self-protection, self-reliance that's drilled in mm-hmm. showing up there. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, then Professor Bear is great. As a kid, it was like weird, mm-hmm. old bearded German man. <laughs> like, this is strange. He comes around um, at the right time, though. Joe mm-hmm. would not have been ready for him. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, so she was. So she did. She had a lot of affection for him even before that. And Lori thinks that she must be mm-hmm. in love with him. It's like, what's that professor? He's the, like, no. At the end, he says something when he comes to woo her, kind of. Because I didn't realize, but he was, I'd forgotten that he was there for so long. Like, he comes in and he just spends, like, weeks. Like He's pretty you know. awkward, right? Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't know really what he's doing. <laughs> I don't remember yeah. that, but I, I want to read But he, that. like, comes to her, her house. No wonder he's so old like, and yeah. still <laughs> single. <laughs> but he says something to her, like, if I had said something then when we were together whatever city they were but in new york, you know, new york. we're saying yeah. new york yeah new york we're holding it down <laughs> yeah <laughs> would you have said yes and she said i don't know i don't know if i would have been mm, yeah. ready for that yet well that happens in that chapter after beth dies that's actually i think one of the best chapters in terms of morality because so often as i read it it's like everyone promises to be good you know because i love beth so much and she died i'm going to be like I'm gonna be just yes. like her, yeah. And it's the chapter right after. That's what I was just reading in the car outside the studio, <laughs> um, as I pulled up a little bit early, eating my frosty. It says it's. It was easy to promise self abnegation. <laughs> Great, never said that word out loud before. <laughs> self abnegation. Ab- yeah. Abnegation. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't think. Um, it was easy to promise self abnegation when self was wrapped up in another and heart and soul were purified by a sweet example. But when the helpful voice was silent, the daily lesson over, the beloved presence gone, and nothing remained but loneliness and grief, then Joe found her promise very hard to keep. Hmm. Um, I think that's one of the one of the most uh, I don't know one of the least uh, moralizing. Because I mean, that's obviously in this time period when I mean, Brandon said that in his letter. There was like lots of moral <laughs> novels, lots of moral stories, and that this book wasn't that. Mm-hmm. And some parts of it can feel like we're all just doing better. We're all getting better, and this is like reality. It's really easy to promise that. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to do it when it actually mm-hmm. happens. Um, I do feel like there was a lot of moralizing, though. There is, and but I, I think maybe in part two it does get better. You think it um, maybe does it move faster? Does it feel that way? 
part. I mean, part yeah. two covers a lot more time. Yeah. It covers several years. And that's part of it. And, and they're growing like, up. Yeah, three years while she's in Europe. And it's definitely mm-hmm. hopping around a little bit more. But it was in this in this chapter toward that that it says uh, that she was just that her heart was different, um, and that now now she realizes what it would be like. That maybe it would be good to have a husband and all those joys that she thought she wouldn't want, mm-hmm. realizing how sweet they could be. So it was the Beth dying that really changed her and softened her. I wonder how that actually because you said Alcott's sister died when she was young, a lot younger, right? Yeah, I'm trying to remember where just that in her was. Early teens. The year they moved, I think, to Orchard House, unless I have that wrong, which I might. But I think 1858 is what. Okay. We're, we're going to have some diligent looking and <laughs> listener yeah. who's going to say, natural. <laughs> <laughs> does anything go into the second part with the Pilgrim's Progress? No, it thread? doesn't continue. And that's actually something that I hadn't read as a kid. Pilgrim's Progress? Yeah, that I read later and now rereading. It's like, whoa. Yeah, I didn't make yeah. any of those connections. So much Pilgrim's so Progress. Much. Yeah. Joe meets her Apollyon. Yes. Meg goes to Vanity Fair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Listeners, if you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, you should read it with Little Women. Yeah. You and can even read the kids' version. A note about the bad theology where Beth, their Christian gets to the celestial city and Beth is talking about the golden arms reaching out to him and uh, whether the door is locked to anyone or whether there are guards outside the celestial mm. city, the actual heaven. And Beth says, no, I don't think the door is locked. I think they're just, you know, reaching out. And anybody who basically is good then can be welcomed in. Yeah, that's the worst thing is all the, if you're just good enough. I remember that conversation that Marmy has with Joe about learning to control her temper Mm -hmm. really is good. Mm -hmm. It's a great conversation. But there's this, that yes, you need to control yourself. You also need to pray. Mm -hmm. You need God. Yeah. You need the friend. Capital F, yeah. friend. There was a lot of those sweet things. Mm-hmm. This, the friend or um, I think father was used. Yeah, obvious. yeah. But the thing about Amy and like her prayer closet or whatever it uh-huh. was with the, the Catholic maid at Aunt March's <laughs> yeah. house, uh, that too is, yes, it's nice to have a quiet place to pray and uh-huh. especially in times of trouble, but we're not just going to have a spiritual moment to try to will ourselves to be better or right. to change and be better. Mm-hmm. Awareness and knowledge of self and depravity in this book, but also uh-huh. the, I guess, works righteousness, you could say. Yeah, being definitely a, works righteousness. Being a good, I tried to be good and I thought all those thoughts and mm-hmm. it's an interesting balance in the shift that was happening in culture mm-hmm. for Alcott, right. obviously. Well, yeah, and you said transcendentals, um, so we're all naturally good. Mm-hmm. And nature. It seem, but, but, but it Was seems it like in this that they really have, like, they all have their ingrained faults mm-hmm. that are definitely part of their nature. They don't seem learned, or I don't, I don't know how the transcendentals would, would have talked about it. But so I don't know if how that's. I didn't look too much into what all they believed. So, <laughs> so maybe <laughs> she was a doubter. Picture, Brandon. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So whether or not, well, it could have been that she was a doubter or that you just can't help but talk about people like that because that's how it actually is. Mm -hmm. I think that she did have conflict with her father growing up because she was the wild. Really makes you wonder about her mother. Yeah. Well, I think I read that it caused conflict between him and his wife, too. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. There wasn't a lot of detail, but just kind of like a offhanded comment. Yeah. (laughs) There was no animal labor on the farm except <laughs> yeah. for the women. <laughs> the women so cool. working. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Oh, I had a thought from something yeah, you I said. Do. Oh, well, the, that chapter. Oh, here's my question that I've, it's been on the tip of my tongue <laughs> the whole time. It finally came out. Should everyone read Little Women? Yeah, yeah. Slash, should men read Little Women? I have a similar Go. question. <laughs> well, you're not the host. So. <laughs> <laughs> you are not. Okay, maybe it can be a second question. Okay. Yeah. Well, what's your question? I'll get to decide which one goes Was, first. Was or is at what age should mm. girls, women read this book? Let's start with the first question then. Yeah. Is, I'll say it again. Should everyone read Little Women slash should men read Little Women? Hmm. Go. <laughs> you go, Anna. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brandon skimmed this in two uh-huh. days and said, I'm not sure it's my cup of tea, but then he was skimming it in two days. <laughs> right. <laughs> so- <laughs> 600 pages in two days. Yeah. Ooh. That's about that's about what I did. Yeah. I don't Plus know. making dinner. Not, I hadn't really thought about that. <laughs> I thought about hmm. girls and women that I hadn't actually thought about. I don't know. Yeah. Like, what would you would you want your boys to read it? Would you be okay with them reading it? I guess those are two different questions. Like, are are there? I, think. I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't think it's essential by any means. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. What if you have? Because I don't really think it teaches much. Okay. To boys. Mm-hmm. I mean, even insight for women. I don't think it's especially. What about fathers with daughters? I, I was I'm reading this now. I felt much more really like much more kinship with Marmy mm-hmm. and raising mm-hmm. my own yeah. daughter. Is there insight there for fathers with daughters? I would just say read Pride and Prejudice or read more Jane Austen. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think I I got impatient with the book, mm-hmm. and so I think that's a negative in terms of yes, you should read this because of daughters because it's a long book. Yeah. So. I would just rather read, rather you read Jane Austen. I can't imagine boys being very interested with the parasols and the uh-huh. the bonnets mm-hmm. and the ribbon and trimmings. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the the gloves and the boots. And <laughs> right. I I do think I think I might have Alex read those two chapters about yes. Megan John. Mm-hmm. Yes, those two chapters. Those are yeah, so good. Absolutely. Well, this, you I don't know if you remember with the second one. It's a lot about like father father's discipline being yes so essential and. You know, he's, uh, she says to him, I don't want you to break his spirit. And he says, I don't want you to indulge him to death. Mm-hmm. I think like, I remember reading that and, and, and he told, I thought, wow, this was written so long ago. I know. <laughs> we need to hear so this good. now. And then he tells um, her to leave and she does. And mm-hmm. she's like, you know, just so nervous. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and then she comes back and he's fallen asleep after little Demi felt like curl up around him. And she realizes he's not a monster. Mm-hmm. Like he's the man I love and married. And <laughs> there's just so, like so much real Parenthood, marriage stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and Marmy. Well, man, there's there's self care wrapped up in there. Buzz <laughs> hashtag self care buzzword. Go out to the opera. <laughs> yeah, where yeah, Marmy Marmy's like you gotta have a life. <laughs> like you can't live in the nursery. I don't remember part of that. You have to. You have. You have a husband. You have a husband. You need to look pretty for him. Mm, like yeah. You need. You need to do. I'm gonna send Hannah over to be the nurse so that you can go have dinner with oh, your husband. Man, so much wisdom. Mm, yep. <laughs> Um, she had that bad moment with girls don't need spankings, perhaps, oh, back in part that. one. Yep. Oh, 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 with the teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't, believe, well, we forgive I don't her think that. they believed in corporal discipline at all. Probably not. Yeah, there's a there's an interesting historical fact for all of our listeners. It is not a new thing in history to not spank your children. Mm-hmm. J.C. Ryle lived around this time, actually, I think a very similar time period, and he has this great sermon called the duties of parents and in it he says lots of people nowadays don't want to spank their children we have we have this idea that like 
everyone pre 20th century everyone pre like mid 20th century it was like the 50s were, when they stopped spanking were like kids, cra- right? yeah, the crazy yeah crazy crazy strict disciplinarians no really not <laughs> everyone <laughs> no. for all of time has wanted to indulge and emo- emotionally manipulate their children we're just... casey ryle died in 1900 boom yep. nice <sighs> yeah <laughs> but transcendentalism everybody is generally good right so you wouldn't need to spank your children mm-hmm. actually when you talk about Bronson. And she had a bad father. Charlotte Mason. Um, Me too, actually. A lot of similar ideas. I actually, well, I was Googling during that. I am not the master at Googling, but I do do it occasionally. (laughs) Um, I looked at Bronson, Alcott, and Charlotte Mason. Didn't see any links, but they were in different sides of the pond. Very large (laughs) Atlantic pond. So yeah, I think, like, I think I'll pull out those two chapters for Alex to read. Mm -hmm. Jubilee. So when should girls read those? I think I might have had Jake read those, or at least those... Those monologues. Sections, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, when should girls read this? I read it. Yeah, I read it in like first or second grade. Jubilee is going into third grade. She, I think, started it last year and just didn't find it very interesting. But I think it is like most kids want to read about p- kids a little bit older than them. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I'm not sure I'd first time give it to maybe a 14 year old. Hmm. Maybe you want to do it a little young. You might, yeah, she might be over it by then. Has Alyssa read them? Read it? <clears throat> she read that uh, two years ago, I think. And she's she 15 now? 16? She's 15 now. Okay. Yeah. So it's probably around the same age, actually, that I wrote. I read it around 12, 13. Okay. That might be a good age. Because then you can kind of relate to Amy, but you also yeah. have Meg being yeah. kind of mature and growing up. And that's mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. I was thinking Lucy might be a little bit too young. She might have already read an abridged version. I'm not sure. Okay. But soon, probably. Yeah. Well, it, so it's interesting that you brought up. You mentioned Pride and Prejudice. You mentioned it too. This may be sacrilege to say on the book name, but um, I, I like Pride and Prejudice. Alex also likes it. He's read. He's actually maybe read more Austin than I have because of the book name. He gets so sick of how godless they are. Yeah. And just how, yeah, how really worldly, moral, yes, but worldly in a lot of ways. And this definitely has more morality, mm-hmm. um, even more sometimes sermonizing. Yeah, but in a very real way. Like, yeah, like the friend. Thing, yeah, as God is your friend, your helper. Mm-hmm. Those those lines just here it comes into real life. Mm-hmm. There it is, and, the, and it's yeah, a breath the, of fresh air. The little lectures that Marmy gives are totally real, mm-hmm. and she's tender with them. And that's not anything you'd ever find in Jane Austen. Yeah. Um, but there's still humor in this. There's still you know it's still lightness, and so if Pride and Prejudice. Is too dang worldly for you. <laughs> Try Little Women. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we're allowed to give the Booking and Seal of Approval the BSOA, but why not? Would you guys give the BSOA to Little Women? Yes. Yeah, what are the qualifications? It's. I think it's just if, if we like it. You like it's, it, it's a seal of approval. Would you recommend it to others? Yes. BSOA. Yes. BSOA on Little Women. Get the stamp. <laughs> is that it? We just need to do donut shout Any other thoughts? Any other thoughts? Musings? Questions? wonderings hmm. i re- i this is just a thought um i really like little things like amy being terrible at vocabulary <laughs> just little funny. things like that yeah um trying to use words that, that don't make any sense right. it's funny <laughs> just, you know beth beth can be really fastidious when she chooses <laughs> amy meant to say fascinating but since the girl she was talking to didn't know either word yeah. it was fine yeah <laughs> <laughs> and she corrects her uh her word choice in her letter to marmy uh-huh. <laughs> I even questioned. I was like, it said corroborated. I haven't corroborated with the girls. And I thought, I don't think that's the right word. That's not the right word. <laughs> and then the next breath, she changes it. Yeah, yeah. 
Man, I mean, it's crazy, too, to think about Joe handwriting all of her manuscript. Oh, that part where it gets burned. <gasps> burns, oh, yes. Ooh, I understood that. What's like, your favorite moment? Oh, favorite moment in the book. Oh, man. You can pick one for each part. Yeah. Because there are two books. <laughs> I can only pick one from the first part. <laughs> <laughs> Although, the best part of the book is the, like we've said, the monologues mm-hmm. in the second part. The marriage and the mothering one. Yeah. I remember, actually, when Alex and I got married. I was like, you have to warn me when you come home with someone. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Because we're not going to have a Megan John moment with the jelly on the floor. Oh, that felt so uh-huh. in- that felt so intense. And I- <laughs> oh, man. And her little servant girl, like, sitting there eating bread and milk. Like, yeah. I don't know what to do with this. I think that was actually a piece of advice given in our premarital counseling. Was to always tell them when you're bringing mm-hmm. someone home. Yeah. It was, I think, followed... It, it's nice to tell your wife when you're coming home, uh-huh. especially when you're bringing someone with you. I love Marmy helping Joe with her temper. Mm-hmm. I think Meg going to Vanity Fair has some great images in it for me of the mm-hmm. ball and the... I don't connect um, well with Meg, so that doesn't really stick with me. Well, I think she actually reminds me a little more of my sister, who's my older sister. Hmm. Maybe that's part of it. Hmm. I don't know. I relate... I well, I related that. to her... I don't know, like wanting to put on the show of actually having fun and not wanting Lori to ruin it. And mm-hmm. yeah. But she also confessed to her mom and her sister a lot quicker than yeah, I ever that was sweet too. I to learn yeah. from that. I really liked the letter from Marmy to Joe. Mm-hmm. I've been noticing you're doing well with your temper. Mm-hmm. This is really sweet. I loved getting little notes from my mom, handwritten notes. I mean, we would just get like lunchbox mm-hmm. notes on the napkin, but just that extra care has always been really special to me so do you leave note not as much as i would like even from that fondness i don't do it as much but that's what i want to do more of yeah and i i that's more of my personality where i could i will i have seen those kinds of changes in my children and i'm not as likely to say those things out loud in person Mm -hmm. but even more so writing it down would mean more Mm -hmm. and it's more my style so that's a nice thing yeah the sweet thing to remember your favorite part? I have a really hard time narrowing it down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think my runner-up would be Joe going to bat for Lori with Mr. Lawrence. And she just did it in a very oh, sweet after, way. Oh, after the Meg mm-hmm. letter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, you know, she didn't barge in saying, you should blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. I just want to return a book. Yeah. It and is, also doing it scared. Yes. Yeah. She was very scared and she didn't, she was, it was very, you know, I don't want to do this kind of thing. I don't want to tell you to blab mm-hmm. it. But please understand. And then finally, he came around to her plan, I guess, and wrote Lori a note. Yeah. There's a lot of love for the written word in general Yeah, in this book, which makes sense. I also love the whole, like, you know, week of idleness. Yes. Week of doing whatever yes. we want. And um, <laughs> oh, yes. just learning. Clever mom experiment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good mom experiment. I thought. I wonder what Marmy did really that happen, whole week. though. I mean. <laughs> she was still kind of like cleaning a little bit, wasn't she? Marmy? Well, during the week. Yeah. But then at the end, like that last day, they she didn't leaves. do anything. Yeah. Um, she or Hannah. And I think I was like, would that work for my kids? Mm, yeah. A little too young. A little too young. <laughs> a little too young. Maybe. Would my kids eat? Maybe. <laughs> no. Well, we have, you know, readily prepared foods and yes. snacks and bags that they can yeah. survive on. My kids could make their own make bread. scrambled eggs until they <laughs> ran out. <laughs> Although, Peter and Lucy could ride to the store. There you go. Get some. There you go. Mm-hmm. You, ride the bikes. Um, Though I 
as an adult understand that feeling like there are yes. certain days when you just feel like you haven't done anything and you're just like whoa what a waste of the day this was mm. you know <laughs> sometimes it happens when i look down at my phone at lunchtime and realize it's on like 30 percent. i'm like man i have wasted my day away <laughs> mm-hmm. look at that use of my all my battery uh-huh. <laughs> yeah marmy has some good advice there Make sure there's some work and pleasure. Yes, Mm -hmm. I actually have that quote saved. It's Um, a really good one. And a a balance of both or something. mm -hmm. But you'll read it. I will read it. Have regular hours for work and play. Make each day both useful and pleasant and prove that you understand the worth of time by employing it well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, useful and pleasant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, make each day both useful and pleasant. That's great advice. Yeah, I love that. Hashtag be like Marmy. Yeah. (laughs) That's really... It was amazing to me that where Joe was asking Marmy, she's like, so when you just kind of like press your lips together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I, I like that that shows up later yes. when Aunt March says something yes. to her mom or something. <laughs> yes. She just pulls mm. <laughs> it up tightly. And I think I need to do a little bit more of that. Yeah. <laughs> if only uh, that's how I managed. My yeah. Career. That's what I was thinking. Uh-huh. I was like, I wish my children did, yeah. you know, could ask me that. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> All right. Are we ready for some donor shout outs? Yep. Yep. Uh, how about I will say it. And you guys will just alternate. Shout right. him out. Sounds good. Shout him out. We're shouting okay. him out. Okay. What's a, I don't, what would be the little women thing to do? Say it like Americans. <laughs> mm. Just Americans. Okay. I actually had trouble sometimes imagining them with American accents. Yes. I kept thinking they were British. <laughs> yes. Which I, is funny. I, yeah, I did have to remind myself. Where are we again? Yeah. Who are the British people in this book? <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. The British people do not get high praise in this book. <laughs> no. All right. Anna. Robert and Rhonda, the lovebirds. Robert and Rhonda, the lovebirds. <laughs> the artful Anthony Dodger. The artful Anthony who? Dodger. Dodger. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've heard this one before. I'm behind on my booking listening. <laughs> the artful An- Anthony Dodger. The immortal Chelsea E. The immortal Chelsea E. Jimmy Beam and little Annie Oakley. Jimmy Beam and little Annie Oakley. Lily of the Valley. Lily of the Valley. Andrew and Esther, the lovebirds. Andrew and Esther, the lovebirds. And a couple of babies. Couple baby, couple little chicks. Mm-hmm. The inscrutable Jenny Z. The inscrutable Jenny Z. The Keith Master. The Keith Master. David's Mighty Men Trucking. David's Mighty Men Trucking. We should have an infomercial for them. Yeah. <laughs> for all your transportation needs. There you go. Exactly. John and Jill and Little Baby Max. John and Jill, Little Baby Max, and Baby Girl. And Baby Girl. Still bacon. Oh, this is a new. Oh, I need to. Sorry. I need to find this. This is Jay and Katie, but Jay has requested. Mm, I just a saw new... that today. Oh, C.S. Lewis and uh-huh. Till We Have Faces. Yes, but I need to find. Okay, this is, are you ready? This is a long one. <clears throat> oh, dear. <laughs> Jay and Katie, who are cold and love cheese and C.S. Lewis, including Till We Have Faces. Jay and Katie, who are cold and love cheese and who love C.S. Lewis, including Till We Have Faces. Very good. I think our internet <laughs> friend also loves You're welcome, Till Jay. We have faces. My beloved, uh, Nathan's beloved, beloved. <laughs> <laughs> Nathan's beloved mother, Beth. Thank you. <laughs> Console Prime Blue. Console Prime Blue. No new ones. Adam, the Smasher of Worlds. Adam, the Smasher of Worlds. <laughs> they got a little crazy there. Yeah. Galactic Princess Emily. Galactic Princess Emily. Wow, guys. Are you ready? Fletcher, the woe-bedraggled wizard of yore. <laughs> Fletcher, the woe-bedraggled wizard of yore. Very good. <laughs> that was very good. Jeremy, the dark-hooded lord of death. Jeremy, the dark-hooded lord of death. <sighs> this is like a different era of... <laughs> Donor <laughs> These have been more recent ones. Yeah. Nathan, not Nathan. Nathan, not Nathan. The incandescent Meredith. The incandescent Meredith. All together. Maya. 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 <laughs> that was a little dissonant. 
That was beautiful. I loved it. All right. Amanda. Ryan the Red Avenger and Judith of the Ladies of Justice. Judith. Yeah, Ryan the Red Avenger. Ryan the Red, Aven- Red oh. Avenger and Judith the Lady of Justice. Judith of the Ladies of Justice. Mm. <laughs> Let's try that again. <laughs> Ryan the Red Avenger and Judith the Lady of... <laughs> of the Ladies of Justice. <laughs> Start over. Try again. <laughs> Ryan the Red Avenger and Judith of the Ladies of Justice. <laughs> <laughs> very good. Very good. Danny the Dude. Danny the Dude. Ooh. DJ Sammy G. Take your time. DJ Sammy G. Benny and Dana Tiberius. Benny and Dana Tiberius. I can't say that. <laughs> yes, you can. I believe in you. Benny and Dana Tiberius. Very good. <laughs> Eric and Catherine the Lovebirds. Eric and Catherine the Lovebirds and little baby... Silas? Silas. Professor and Lady X. Professor and Lady X. We want to welcome Dylan. We want to apologize that we are a bunch of females welcoming him and not the other people. Why do we have to apologize for being females? That is what Nathan said. That's <laughs> what so Nathan told me to do. We are not little women. We are <laughs> women. <laughs> I can't believe we haven't said that yet. What'd you say? We, I, I can't believe we haven't said that yet. That we're not little women? That we're big women. <laughs> <laughs> big women is very becoming. Just cut, just cut it all out, Nathan. Cut it out. Well, um, Dylan. Dylan the Wallflower. Is that a thing? Well, Jacob Dylan is the leader, lead singer of the Wallflowers, and he's Bob Dylan's son. Uh, this is spelled D-I-L-L-O-N. Oh. Should we attach Dylan with a flower? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure Dylan will appreciate that. We have there's an apartment complex called the Dylan in town. That's so weird. It is weird. I don't know why. I don't know why it's called that either. Is this a first name? I, I, well, it just says Dylan. D i l l o n. How do these nicknames get assigned anyway? <laughs> Nathan just comes up with them <laughs> and then forgets and comes up with a different ones. Comes up with new ones if they're not good enough. No, these he actually has he has them written down now. Yeah. Um, Dylan, huh. Dylan, Dylan, Dylan. I we couldn't do something with Bob. Could we just name him Robert Dylan? Dylan, not Robert. Dylan, not Dylan, not. Bob. What's his? Was his name? Was his name actually Robert? I keep trying to rhyme Probably. his name. Just... His Bob Dylan's <laughs> Dil- Dylan Dil- Dillion. Dylan Fillin. <laughs> Dylan's real last name is Zimmerman. Bob Dylan's real last mm-hmm. name. Um, I think Ralph Lauren's real last name is Leibowitz. I think. To text Nathan or to sing Lavender's Blue Dilly Dilly. <laughs> Which one were you thinking? <laughs> Lavender's blue, Dylan Dylan. Oh, I love that. Lavender's blue, Dylan Dylan. <laughs> Here you go. Lavender's blue, Dylan Dylan. <laughs> That's what you get when you get a bunch of females. <laughs> ah, lucky you, Dylan. Dylan. Dylan Dylan. <laughs> The booking was performed today by Anna Chastain, Danny McNeely, and Amanda Menzel in alphabetical order. It was produced by Nathan Alberson. It was executive produced like all fine Warhorn podcasts by Nathan Alberson and Jacob Menzel. Thanks for listening, folks. Bye. 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 See you later. Bye.